Well, there we go. Good morning, everybody. I'm uh, Andrew Gabriel. Uh, as I said, you can call me Andrew. I'm from Horizon College and Seminary in Saskatoon. We are the College of the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario District of the PAOC, as well as the Saskatchewan District. I've been there for nine years. And uh, I've been here for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, no, wait, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, six days now. Um, and it's uh, been good to be together with you. Um, I'll just remind you, uh, my book, Simply Spirit Filled, I uh, have not really talked about the Holy Spirit in as much detail as might have been expected, uh, but I just want to remind you that today is the last day if you want to pick it up at the bookstore, uh, because after, tomor or after tomorrow morning service, I'll be hopping on a plane um, going to see my family in Nova Scotia, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, You've probably got a bit of a sense of who I am and what I'm like, and my book is kind of like that. Uh, so uh, it's not just kind of the rah, rah, whatever, spiritual, like, just do it. Um, so, like, chapter one is called Confessions of a Recovering Spirit Experience Junkie. Uh, so anyways, you can take a look at that, and uh, I'd be glad if you bought it, because then I don't have to take it with me. So, um, yeah, I, knew, I do know there's still some copies available. So this week... We've been asking some big questions. On uh, Sunday, we asked the question of, Sunday? Yeah, Sunday. Uh, is there only one way? Uh, do all religions worship the same God and questions like that? And we saw that we are called to call people to Jesus and to have faith in Jesus, even if they're a part of another religion. On Canada Day, we talked about how love is a higher calling than tolerance, because tolerance has limits, but love does not. And then we talked about medical assistance in death or physician-assisted suicide and how every human being is made in the image of God as has, has infinite value and that our bodies are not our own to do with as we wish. We have no right to die. And yesterday we talked about the LGB and how we should not condemn anybody, that we're all sinners saved by grace and that all sinners even sexually active LGB people should be welcome in our church. The day that we say a sinner is not welcome in the church, there's something deathly wrong with us. So I was thinking about what I should talk about today, and I thought, is it okay to go swimming right after you eat? <laughs> you know, it's very... It's, it's, a, it's an important issue for our context. There's swimming lessons right around 5 o'clock. You know, it's hard to find a picture of a child swimming who's not smiling. <laughs> oh, dear. No, I did say today we're going to talk about the TQ+. Uh, and this evening, uh, for, for youth, uh, we're going to do a question and answer period for the older youth with uh, Pastor Nathan. Um, I, I was thinking it might be helpful if, if you might, if you're here in your youth, if you could either pass your question on to Pastor Nathan beforehand, uh, sooner than later preferably, or you can email it to me. Uh, that'd be great. My email is agabriel, that's A for Andrew, gabriel at horizon.edu. Um, I'll say it again in just a second, but and that'll just give me some time to think about it. Uh, now, unfortunately, I, I do receive uh, increasingly a lot of theological questions by email, and so I'm not able to answer all your theological questions by email. I just have found that I don't have the time anymore to do that. Uh, but for this evening, I'm happy for you to send me questions for that question and answer period. Again, it's A. Gabriel at horizon.edu, a Gabriel like the angel, G-A-B-R-I-E-L, at horizon.edu. So, what is LGBTQ, TQ+, so L was for lesbian, uh, B, or sorry, G for gay, which typically refers to male, but often it's a broader umbrella term, and the B was for bisexual, somebody who is attracted to both genders, male and female. Uh, so what's the TQ plus? Uh, and you might be going, how, how can this be a separate message? Because it's really a separate issue. Um, so it's, it's TQ plus is not slightly more gay. It's not like gay plus. 
Um, and it's also not the same thing as, if you've ever heard of hermaphrodites or intersex, people who are born with some sort of uh, ambiguous phys uh, physical sexual anatomy, um, this is not the same thing either. Uh, it is not so much about biology. So T typically stands for transgender, uh, trans for short. And the, uh, the whole idea of transgender or, or being trans is that it's, the, it's somebody who would say that their gender doesn't match the body that they were born in, uh, or that their gender doesn't match their sex. In other words, they're making a distinction between gender and sex. Uh, some, well, sometimes they will actually they don't want to make that distinction because if you ask them what sex are you, they don't want to say their birth gender or their birth sex. Or they just want to talk about their gender. But it's all very confusing at times, and, and the words are used in different places by different people in different ways. But overall, they'll typically make a distinction between their gender and their sex. Uh, to put it crassly, the gender is what's in between your ears, and the sex what's between your legs. Uh, I didn't come up with that. That's what I've read from uh, from some trans people. So. You might be going, well, wait a second. Gender equals sex. Like, this is ridiculous. Why are, why are we talking about that? Like, there's, there's no distinction. Uh, but I actually think there is, there is some truth to the distinction that they're making. Because when we talk about, like, the trans community will say gender is a human construct. In other words, it's something that we determine, that we make up. And there's some truth to that. Because in different cultures, gender uh, looks different. And we have different expectations of people of different genders. Uh, so in, in North America, we'll typically be like, well, you know, I got a baby boy, I got to dress him in blue. I got a baby girl, I got to dress her in pink, or that kind of thing. And th those are aspects of what sociologists would call gender, gender expectations in society. Um, so at one point in time, you know, women shouldn't be wearing pants because that would be you know, not the kind of thing that a woman should do. It's not for their gender. And now lots of women wear pants and, and so forth. So there is, there, you know, there is certainly some reason to think that we could make a distinction between gender and sex. Uh, now to go further though, so a trans person would, would say that their, their gender, how they think about themselves and their identity uh, does not match how they were born biologically. So they'd say something like, well, I'm a, I'm a female who was born in a, uh, in a boy's body kind of thing, or I was assigned a boy sex at birth, something like that. But it usually goes beyond that where they, they present differently than their biological sex. And what I mean by present is they'll say, well, I, I present as a woman, but I was born a male. And what they mean by that is, I will dress like a woman, even though I was born as a male, or perhaps I am taking hormones to change the look of my body so that I look more like a female, though I was born a male, or perhaps I've had sexual reassignment surgeries, uh, and usually there's multiple surgeries that are a part of this process to change my anatomy so that I look physically more like a woman even though I was born a male. And I keep saying as a woman even though I was born a male just as an example because it goes the other way too because certainly there's, there's females who would also be transgender and, and transition to be men. So that's the T. Um, I guess a couple more clarifications. Transgender again is not gay plus because it has nothing necessarily to do with sexual orientation. So, for example, you've probably all heard of Bruce, now Caitlyn Jenner. Um, so, probably the most famous transgender person. I forget the exact year, but, um, you know, was all over the news and TV shows and whatever. And uh, when, when Bruce became Caitlyn, uh, at the time when Caitlyn was asked, you know, are, are you attracted to men or women? And Caitlin said, well, it's not being trans isn't about your orientation. And Caitlin said, I'm still attracted to women at the time. I, I, I think that the story has changed a little bit. But uh, so all that is to say sexual orientation can go one way or the other. And uh, it, it, it all makes things very confusing. Are you got it all figured out now. Okay, good. <laughs> so that's the T. What about the Q? Uh, so Q is typically queer uh, and again people define this word differently but it usually means that somebody who would say I am not exclusively male and I'm not exclusively female 
that their identities are somehow outside of the gender binary. What do we mean? Well, if, if we consider, if we, let's let blue represent male and pink represent the females, just to be stereotypical. And, uh, you know, a lot of culture would say, well, you're either male or you're female. In fact, a lot of transgender people would say, you're either male or you're female. And if you're transgender, then you were born a male, but you're actually female or vice versa. But the whole queer uh, community and queer theory and such would say, no, there's not just two genders. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a spectrum. So there's, it's not a binary. It's not just one or the other. It's you could be here on the spectrum. You could be a little bit less male. Maybe you're in here. Maybe you're kind of like, you know what, I don't, I'm kind of both or something like that. Or I'm more female than male. And so we all are kind of sort of somewhere on this spectrum. Now, if gender becomes a spectrum, then some people in the, in the trans, and by the way, trans is sometimes an umbrella term that can refer to queer and the plus as well, rather than just somebody who's transitioning. But so there's some people in the trans community who would say, you know what, if gender is a spectrum, really we're all trans because we're all somewhere on the binary and nobody's like right down here, nobody's way up here. We're all kind of somewhere, so maybe I'm here and somebody else is here, and so we're all trans. Or alternatively, if we're all trans, then nobody's trans because we're all on a spectrum somewhere. And uh, I'm not, I, I didn't mean it to be funny, but it's true, that's, that's, that's how the discussion goes. Uh, and so there's, there's debate even within the LGBTQ community of, you know, what is, is there such thing as transgender and are we all trans? And is, this is really important too, is your gender stable? So, you know, if you're born as a male, but you always felt like a female, will you always feel like a female? Will you, or will your gender change? Will you, is, and so there's people who would say, I'm gender fluid. So one day I feel more like a female and another day I feel more like a male and so I may present differently, I may dress differently on one day than another because my sense of my identity changes. Uh, and so that obviously goes kind of contrary to the typical transgender that we might think of and so they get in their own debates about what it means, uh, how gender works really. So what about the plus? It's really everything here uh, is what it comes down to. So uh, anybody who identifies somewhere in the spectrum in some way, and if you're trying to take notes, just stop at the moment. Because um, I'm just going to fly. Here's some of the pluses. So a, somebody who always says they're asexual, and that has more to do with yesterday's topic, but asexual meaning a lack of sexual attraction. Uh, pansexual, somebody who's attracted to people of any sex or of any gender identity. Somebody who's agender, somebody who identifies as having no gender. Bigender, somebody who says they move between feminine and masculine genders. Pangender, somebody who identifies as all genders. I am both male and female. Uh, and then there's also, you've probably heard, two-spirit. So people, some North American indigenous people would say that they describe people within their communities as having two spirits, both a male spirit and a female spirit. So it's specific to the indigenous community. And it goes plus, 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 plus. And that's why they added the plus, because the number of letters, you know, the word's getting along. Um, and there's more. So it's really not crucial for what we're talking about today. It's not so crucial to remember all these distinctions. The crucial thing is to understand that the TQ plus are essentially trying to make a distinction between gender and sex that is hard and fast. So the sex is what's between your legs and the gender is what's between your ears. And it is, as much as we might laugh about some of the debates and how some of it seems kind of crazy and whatever, it is a real, again, issue that is hard for many people that experience real struggles, either the individual themselves, their family, it involves family and friends, it involves people that we love and that are dear to our heart. So here's the story of Susie and, and Jack. Susie's on the left, Jack or Jackie's on the right. So Susie is the mother of Jack, and when Jack was four years old, uh, he was born a boy, 
And when Jack was four years old, Jack told his mother, I'm a girl. And Susie said, no, you're not. Uh, you know, you, you like some girl toys and that sort of things, but that, that doesn't make you a girl. And Susie, as she tells her story, says that this continued for a few years. And I, wa I want you to notice something. Jack was four years old. He didn't wake up one day and say, I think I want to be trans. This wasn't a choice that he made. He wasn't like, I think it'd be fun to feel like a girl. So more broadly, if you read the literature, there's no clear consensus on what is the cause of LGB, sexual same-sex attractions, or feelings of uh, transgender, feeling like your body doesn't match your, your gender. But Jack felt that he was born this way. He always felt this way. I mean, he's four years old. At seven, Susie says, Jack started dressing as a girl at home to help cope with the, with the distress of feeling like he was in the wrong body. His last year of elementary school, Susie and Jack decided that Jackie would not only be able to dress as a girl at home, but that Jack would be able to go to school as Jackie. And so he grew his hair long, and he, he went to a school that, where they wore uniforms, so he wore the girl's uniform. And Jack said, that, or Susie said of Jack, that the school was very well accepting of him, the administration was accepting, his friends were accepting, and so forth. And this, this is very much, I mean, that would have been not, it would have been a little over 20 years ago, but that's very much what it's like in the schools today. So, I mean, my kids will say to me, oh, well, so-and-so is a boy, but they say they're a girl. And it's just like, oh, well, that's just the way it is. So, next year, though, uh, Jackie starts secondary school. And she starts getting bullied. For three years, because of this bullying, she was on suicide watch. When her puberty started at age 12, she started cutting herself. Because of the transphobic abuse, she's being called a freak, she's being beat up, she's being spat on. She told a story of how every day after school for three weeks, there was a mother who would put her window down and yell at her out the window, hey freak, what are you doing here? And they had to call the cops to get this mother to stop harassing her in this way. So she turns to drugs. Over three years, she has seven overdoses. And so Susie, the mother, is like, like what am I going to do about this? Like, my child, she, she's struggling with this. And so she finds a doctor in Boston who's willing to give her puberty blockers. So I believe, mm, I don't have written down how old she was. It must have been at age 12, I think, when she started taking puberty blockers. Because of her extreme psychological distress and the harassment, at age 16, Jack underwent gender, her, her first gender reassignment surgery. And according to what I found on the internet, she's the youngest person in the world to have done so. Now, Jackie, as you can see, is in her 20s. And her mother, Susie, says, and I quote, the bottom line is she's happy. And isn't that all that matters? And Jackie says, Everyone has a, light, a right to live the way they want to and be the way they want to be. Why should it be any different for me? And I listen to those stories and stories like them, and I go, yeah, there's a lot of heartache here. There's a lot of struggle. This wasn't an easy thing for them. As I said, you know, she didn't just say, oh, well, you know, I think it'd be fun. Let's, let's be trans. That'll be fun. And... There are some people that, actually, some trans people are concerned that some of the younger people actually maybe are making it cool, but usually that's not the way it goes. So how do we think about this? Well, let's go through our ways of thinking about ethics that we've looked at this week. So one is relativism. Again, this is the idea that in the individual or the culture determines what's right or, what's right or wrong. It's, we basically, as human beings, determine what's right or wrong. And it's relative according to the individual. As I've said for two days now, uh, one of the big problems with that is that you could never say somebody is wrong. Because if they feel it's okay for them, then you cannot say that it isn't. 
Uh, so if we, if we were to take an approach of cultural relativism, we might say, well, society is okay with this now. You know, in the past, we would have thought, oh, you know, they have a mental disorder or something like that, and we should change them. And, uh, and in the past, like if you go back to the biblical days, of, or not even that long ago, uh, I'm not sure how many years ago, a few decades, I suppose, more than a few, but it would have been impossible to change, to take hormone therapy. It would have been impossible to change, you know, to have sexual reassignment surgery. But now, our, you know, we have these technological advances and now our culture seems to be okay with it, so it, it, it must be okay. If we took an approach of the individual and we, and we took a relativistic approach, we might talk the way that Jackie does. So Jackie again said, everyone has a right to live how they want to and be who they want to be. Why should it be any different for me? The statement is false. Does everybody have a right to live how they want to and be who they want to be? No. This is, and I'm not talking just about trans people. Like she said, everyone. No, everybody does not have a right to be how they want to be. That's why some things are illegal. We don't get to determine what's right and wrong. As Christians, of course, we would say God does. Another approach to ethics, I pressed the wrong button today, there we go, is to focus on desired results. And again, this is still looking at ethics from, some, from a perspective of human construct. It's something that humans make up. We determine what's right and wrong. So we basically say, well, what's best for me or what's best for society? And again, there's, there's no objective right or wrong here. It always depends upon the circumstance. And one of the big problems is you can never be certain of the results. So some people would argue against uh, certain acts of transgendered people and say, well, you know, we shouldn't be giving puberty blockers to children because that can make a child reproductively sterile. And what happens if... Statistics show, and I'm not taking these from Christians who are trying to inflate statistics. These are actually from a book uh, that was written by LG feminist, queer, disability, and psychoanalytic authors, to be specific. Um, and they said that between 80 to 95% of children who experience a confusion about their gender will actually end their condition as they move through adolescence. And so if you give a child puberty blockers, and there is the risk of sterilization, you know, we, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. And what, what if they undergo sexual reassignment and, it, and they feel like it doesn't fix anything? So I came across one webpage called sexchangeregret.com. And there were stories on there. And, you know, the LGBTQ plus community don't like to talk about this. But there are stories on there of people who had gender reassignment surgeries and then completely regretted it. Because their sex change fixed nothing. They were still... They were still depressed or anxious or whatever. According to the website, 20% of people who have gender reassignment surgery, re surgery regret it, and 40% attempt suicide after the change. So it doesn't always fix things. So what are the results going to be? Well, if results determine what's right or wrong, we don't really know the results. Now, for Susie, she would argue that the results are clear. She said... The bottom line is, she is happy. Jackie is happy, and that's all that matters. Is happiness the measurement of right and wrong? Are the desired results, the, 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 the greatest happiness, the greatest good, and the least amount of suffering, does that determine what's right or wrong? The answer is, you go, I'm not sure. It's no. Happiness, contrary to what every commercial will tell you. May I suggest, contrary to what many Christian preachers on TV will tell you, happiness and self-fulfillment is not our, our, our ultimate goal in life. And it does not determine what's right and wrong. Sometimes we need to make a choice where we have to deny ourselves. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now again, this isn't, he's not talking about transgenderism specifically, obviously. 
But he's, the point is, is that sometimes self-denial is what you need to do to stay faithful to Jesus. And at times, that costs us our happiness. The context of this verse, if you go to the previous verse, this is where Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because, go back another verse, Jesus has just told Peter and the disciples that he's going to suffer. He's going to die. And he understands that this is going to happen. And then Peter says, Lord, no, no, no. This can't happen. This will never happen. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In other words, your concern is for the greatest good, for desired results. What's going to make you most self-fulfilled? What's going to make you happy? Because see, Peter is expecting that Jesus is the Messiah who's going to come and overthrow the Roman oppressors who are oppressing the Jews, and he's going to have some power, and he's going to have safety and self-fulfillment and happiness. That's what the Jews of the first century thought the Messiah were going to do. And so Peter's just said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, I'm going to die. And he's like, no. And Jesus says, yes, Satan. So Jesus says, you have to deny yourself. This happens in all different ways, not just for trans people, all of us. We need to deny ourselves at times, our own happiness, our own desires. What if we take the approach of love or justice? Well, as I said, essentially, this ends up being a smokescreen for really what, should, what makes you happy. Because usually when people say, well, what's going to be most loving for them? They mean typically what's going to make them most happy. But, so we should not let us define what happiness is, or, or sorry, what love is, or justice, but we should let God define it. And so that's where we come to what does God want. And so we'll shift now to talk about some biblical perspectives on gender and identity. And again, the whole thing with LGBTQ plus is this, uh, this claim that you, you, uh, you know the real you by looking inside and that that uh, gender identity that you have is distinct from your biological sex. That's kind of at the heart of it. So Genesis 1, 27, reading from the NLT says, so God created human beings in his own image in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does this text tell us? This text clearly tells us that every person is made in the image of God. Every person, including the LGBTQ+, is made in the image of God, is of immeasurable worth, of immeasurable value, worthy of respect, worthy of love, worthy of honor, worthy of protection. Every trans person is valuable to God and is loved by God. And therefore, they should be valuable to us and loved by us. See, all of us, were more than our gender identities, and that's true of trans people too. In fact, Jackie would say, you know, before I'm a trans person, she would say, I'm a, I'm a sister, I'm an actress, I'm, I'm a this, I'm a that. She says, I don't even really like the label trans. And that's, that's true of all of us. You know, I, I don't think of myself as, well, I'm a, I'm a cisgender heterosexual. I'm just like, I'm an Andrew, I'm a dad, I'm a teacher, whatever. Um, so we're more than that. And at the heart, at, we're made in the image of God. Secondly, another key biblical thing to realize is that our hearts and our minds are disordered. You know, as I was getting ready for this morning, I thought, it's really repeating a lot of what we've said this week, but thanks for coming anyways. Again, the, the, at the heart of the trans argument is that we have in our minds, in our hearts, in ourselves, in our souls, however you want to describe it, we have true, full, and reliable access to who we are. That our longings and intuitions that are within us are right 
and good. And sometimes, especially if you know, they're from a faith background, they'll even say, this is how God created me. And God doesn't make mistakes. But we, realize, we, we said yesterday from Romans 121, it talked about the Gentiles, be, their minds becoming dark and confused. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And it's easy to find texts like this. The heart is darkened. The mind is corrupt and, and things like this. And so, according to the Bible, we shouldn't be surprised that people have gender confusion. That people feel like they're trans, that, they're, they're, that they're, I, their sense of self as a male or female does not match their body. Because our hearts and our minds are not completely reliable. And again, this is true of all of us. There's a gap between the way we feel and the way we ought to be. But we have to remember that on the one hand, yes, God has created you. God had you in mind. God knit you together in the womb. But on the other hand, God did not give us every single instinct that we have. That's the whole doctrine of sin. We live in a fallen world, and this affects our sense of self, our sense of identity, our minds, our hearts. Here's a really helpful analogy, I think. Some people who have eating disorders, women in particular, often struggle with their body image, and they can be dangerously thin to the point of death, but say, no, I'm obese. And their sense of self, their sense of identity does not match their body and who they really are. Now, if I were to affirm to that individual, you know, this is your sense of self, this is who you think you are, and I affirm that, you know, that would be dangerous to them. And the biblical perspective is that none of us are completely qualified to define our own identity and who we are. Now, the, 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 the whole eating disorder body image thing is, is perhaps a ex- more extreme case. Well, there's more extreme cases than that. There is something called body dysmorphic disorder, which is also called transabled. This is individuals who would say, I was born in the wrong body, but I am actually disabled. So they'd say, I have an abled body but actually I should have been born blind or I should have been born without my arm. And some of these people then will start harming themselves in the hope that, you know, they'll harm themselves to the point that the doctors will amputate their arm or leg. And typically it's a leg is the issue. And you might go, this is crazy. Look it up. Gender, sorry, not gender. Uh, What is it again? Body dysmorphic disorder. Oh, sorry. I I forget. Trans, trans, transabled. Look that up. It's easier to remember. And again, these can seem so extreme, but the point is, is that there are individuals who feel different than their bodies are look and, 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 and so forth. And this is because overall our hearts and our minds are disordered and it happens and expresses itself in different ways. Number three, our gender is grounded in a sexual binary. And now we come back to Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So we see in this text, aside from the fact that everybody is made in the image of God and of measurable value, is that to be male and female is physically grounded. You know, if you... I included verse, the beginning of verse 28 here because when it says be fruitful and multiply, it's very clear that when the Bible is talking about male and female and this expectation to procreate, it is referring to male and female with respect to their biological sex. And so, I mean, of course, the biblical authors never would have known of any sort of gender and sex distinction. And I'm not, notice I haven't said that there is a gender binary. What I have said is that sec- gender is grounded in a sexual binary. And, I'll, and what I mean by that is that it's grounded in our bodies, which are male and female sex. And so we see this male-female binary throughout the scriptures. Jesus repeats it. When it comes to the question of divorce, I mentioned this the other day. Jesus said, haven't you read... This is in Matthew chapter 19, that at the beginning, God created them male and female. 
Later on, 1 Timothy, he says, you know, you should honor, ladies, you should honor the older women, and men, you should honor the older men, and um, different texts like this, that there's a clear distinction between males and females, and that it's clearly a binary, and that it's grounded in their sexual bodies. And so we have to realize that, you know, the, the transgender argument would say that there's this real, oh boy, um, if I was in class, I'd say ontological distinction. Um, uh, what do I mean? I mean, there's a real sense of distinction between the realities of our physical selves and our mental selves. And what we see in the scripture is that our bodies are fundamental to who we are and that they shape our identity. And so you think about Jesus, you know, we're, so we're not just brains in a body or souls in a body. And sometimes Christians talk that way and it's really theologically wrong. We are our bodies. When Jesus rose from the dead, when they got to the grave, they didn't look in and go, oh, look, there's Jesus' body, but here he is walking around. He's alive again, right? Jesus was his body. When he rose from the dead, he rose bodily. And when he ascended into heaven, he ascended bodily. And before he ascended into heaven, Thomas recognized him by the scars in his hands. His suffering had become part of his identity. His physical body was always part of his identity. Now, ironically, on the one hand, the trans people want to say, well, my body does not define my identity. But on the other hand, they recognize actually the importance of the body because not all of them, many trans people don't want to undergo sexual reassignment surgery, but those who do are clearly saying that their bodies are very important to their sense of self and therefore they want to align their bodies with their sense of uh, their gender identity or their perceived sense of self. So again, I didn't say that genders are binary, and I'm, I'm sure some of you are like, well, they are, because there's no distinction between sex and gender, and frankly, I don't really care if we get into that argument and how we end. What we see is that the Bible says there is a binary of male and female, and that our gender identity is grounded in that binary, but what I would say, and this would be kind of similar to the trans people, but I'm not going to say there's a gender spectrum, what I would say is that gender can be expressed in different ways. And that individuals might have varying feelings about how they exist as male and female. And that's essentially what the trans people are saying, except for the fact that they would say it's their gender that's different. Uh, but I would say it's, it's really your feeling and your sense of self and your expression of yourself is going to vary. Um, so we come to our big questions. Is it wrong to be TQ plus? Well, if we change it from is it wrong to be trans to is it wrong to have feelings that are disordered? The answer is pretty clearly no. It's not wrong to feel like you're a girl trapped in a boy's body or that you're a boy trapped in a girl's body. The question is, what do we do with those feelings? It's just kind of, it's similar to yesterday when we said, talked about same-sex attraction. Like, there's disordered attractions or feelings that people have, and it's not wrong to have same-sex attraction. It's what do you do with those with your mind? What do you do with those with your body? So then, what do they do with those? Is it wrong for a trans person to present themselves as the opposite gender? And by, again, by present, present, I mean, is it wrong for them to act, speak, dress, uh, in contrast to their biological sex that they were born with. And this is where we have to be very careful. Uh, really, we have to be very careful about all of it. But we have to be careful not to require stereotypes. Because when we say like, well, you know, you're born a boy, you have to look like a boy and act like a boy, that's when the stereotypes can come in. Because not all females look like Jackie or Susie or act like them. Not all men are as masculine and manly as me. And we should not all expect them to be as masculine and manly as me. As I said, there's a variety of ways that people will express their, have feelings and express themselves in how they act, dress, and so forth. 
uh, you, and I would be even comfortable to say there's a variety of ways that people express their gender and, and, and that sort of thing. If we, so, you know, when I was a boy, um, I used to play with Barbies. I also played with G.I. Joe's, but I liked to play with Barbies. I also liked to play with My Little Ponies because I loved horses, and those were the easiest horse toys you could get. Now, one might say, well, I guess that means that you were, like, you were going against gender norms, and so you must have been breaking the norm. You were queer in some way. You were presenting yourself as a girl, and so you're somewhere you know, further north on the gender spectrum than on the south side because you weren't as masculine. And I kind of get what they're saying, but really it's all based on stereotypes and we, we have to be careful not to impose those or expect those or think that somebody's a boy they're, or girl, because anyways, you get it. So if there is a woman, a man, sorry, let me go the other way. If there is a woman who says, I am trans and I feel like a man and I have incredible, uh, or maybe that I wouldn't say incredible, but I feel, I feel very distressed with my body and they want to cut their hair short? Well, I see a lot of women in here who have their hair cut short. So, you know, that should be okay. And so it's, it's very hard to know when does one cross the line? This is a big question. When is the line crossed in rejecting one's biological sex? The scripture does speak to this issue to some extent. Deuteronomy 22.5 says, A woman must not put on men's clothing, and a man must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord your God, or in some translations, it is an abomination to the Lord. Now, somebody from the trans community might object and say, well, wait a second, no, 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 no. Trans people who present themselves as the opposite gender than their sex are not cross-dressing, they're dressing with their identity. So this text doesn't speak to that. But that is importing contemporary gender ideas onto the past. Because obviously these authors would have been saying a woman who was born biologically woman, because they wouldn't have known of anything else, must not put on men's clothing. And a person who was born biologically male, this is the message version, uh, must not wear women's clothing. So the text is clearly speaking of one's biological uh, sex which grounds our, our identity. Now, it's very possible, and I think it's true, that a lot of these texts in the, Penit in, in the book of Deuteronomy and the first five books of the Bible are written to prevent the Israelites from engaging in Canaanite religious rituals. In other words, they're written to prohibit idolatry. And so some people would say, therefore, this text does not speak to the issue of cross-dressing today. I, I can't say that most biblical scholars would go this way. It probably just depends upon uh, how liberal they are or not. But a lot of people would observe that when it says that this is detestable in God's sight or that it's an abomination, the strength of those verses that talk about abomination, there's certain ones that do and there's certain ones that don't. So... Um, you know, like there's texts in the Old Testament that say, you know, you shouldn't wear a garment that has two different types of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Somebody help me out. Material, fabric, yeah. <laughs> two different types of material, you shouldn't do that. Uh, and so there's all kinds of laws that are in the Old Testament that we don't follow anymore for a number of reasons, and that could be a whole session in and of itself. But these ones that talk about being detestable or abomination are, are bigger issues that have to do with God's created order. And so similarly to yesterday when we looked at Romans 1 and we saw that, yes, you know, there, are, there were issues of pederasty in the, in the homosexuality in the first century. Paul was clearly uh, rejecting those, but he was also more concerned about the created order as a whole. And it seems like that's what's happening in this text as well. But again, where does the line come? I'm not sure, and this is where the difficulties of discipleship and questions, um, yeah, it has to be a dialogue that happens, but overall we see in this text that one's biological sex should determine and govern how one expresses their gender with their dress or otherwise. So what about hormone or reassignment surgeries or pu puberty blockers and things like that? I'm going I'm to bring up a text again that we've read this week. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given you by God? 
you do not belong to yourself. In other words, you can't do whatever you want with your body. And again, this passage was about sexual immorality uh, in particular. But, and then it says, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And sexuality, our culture would say, is the most private thing. Our bodies are the most private thing, so people should be able to do with them what they want, whatever they can, that'll make them happy. But this text says no. No matter our bodies, how private they are, we are not our own. We do not have the right to do with them whatever we want. And so it can in fact be a, well, it's a rejection of the body that God gave us, but can also be harmful as we've, we've seen, seen earlier. So what about those of us maybe who are in the room who aren't trans? How should non-trans people respond to trans people? I think you probably know the answer by now. In fact, as I was thinking about this week, I thought, you know, I really started on Monday with the application, and then I did the stuff after. You know, usually you do, you, here's the issue, here's the application. What did I talk about on Monday? Tolerance and love. The answer, obviously, is love. Mark Yarhouse is a Christian perspective Christian psychologist and professor. He's written the most well-known book on the issue. It's called Gender Dysphoria. Uh, but he's also the co-author of another book called Listening to Sexual Minorities, which is a, a study of sexual minorities who, had, who are in Christian colleges in the United States. And he found that these students did not expect their friends, their churches, or their schools to change their doctrine. They didn't expect them to change their sense of morality. So yes, there are some LGBTQ people out there who are going to say, Christians, you need to get on board. You need to affirm everything we do is right and so forth. But there's also a lot of people who would identify as trans who are Christians who are happy to say, you know, I get it. I understand that you think that this is wrong and I'm not asking you to change that. And maybe they themselves think that way and that's why they're at these Christian institutions. But they did say they wanted more dialogue, more openness, and more support. So Mark Yarhouse asks the question, what kind of support would you have liked from the church? And one male to female transgender Christian student res responded and said, somebody cr to cry with me rather than just denounce me. He said, it's, it's scary to see God not rescue somebody from cancer not rescue somebody from schizophrenia or somebody like me who God has not rescued from gender dysphoria. And that's just a fancy word for somebody who's feeling distressed because their gender doesn't match their body. He says it can be scary to look at somebody like me or somebody who's not been healed of something else. But learn to allow your compassion to overcome your fear and repulsion. And again, I'll go back to the first words he said, someone to cry with me rather than just denounce me. And Mark Yarhouse said, their big question is, am I welcomed here and am I wanted here? I want you to ask yourself that. Would you welcome a trans person in your church? Here's a harder question. Do you want a trans person in your church? Am I welcomed and am I wanted here? How can we make them feel welcome? Well, of course, we can give them hugs and greet them and look them in the eye, listen to their stories. One study out of the UK uh, asked a whole bunch of, and this was by evangelicals, they asked a bunch of trans people, how could we make you feel welcome? And, and they found that trans felt more welcome in churches that had toilets that were access for all. Uh, so they would take in, a, uh, oftentimes churches will have, you know, a disabled toilet or an accessible bathroom that's just for single individual use. And if, if those can become gender neutral toilets, they, they feel more comfortable. So they're not necessarily saying, well, you know, I'm a, I was born as a woman, but I want you to let me into the male's toilet. Uh, obviously, there's some trans people who would, but they're saying, okay, I'm a trans person but I'm a Christian, I'd like to feel comfortable at your church, but I would like you to acknowledge that I don't feel like a male, and 
I understand you don't want me to go into the female washroom, but can you make a space for me where I can feel comfortable? Because I don't feel comfortable in the male's washroom either. Small thing. Let's go a little further than yesterday. Yesterday we asked, should we welcome same-sex attracted people, LGB people, into our churches, even sexually active ones? And I said, yes, yes, we should. Let's go further, though. Maybe we shouldn't just welcome them. Maybe we should reach out to them. Over 60% of trans people report being the victims of violence. Over 40% attempt suicide. Trans people are in need of love and support. So we, we, we talk about different programs we can have in churches, like grief care and divorce support care. At my church, we have a recovery program. What if we had a trans care program, like an LGBTQ plus support group? You may go, oh, well, but then people will think that we're affirming, and what will the church next door think? And why are we so concerned about what other people will think? It doesn't mean that we're affirming everything that people do is right or wrong. I mean, I got a friend addicted to pornography, goes to the support group. Nobody's saying, yay, you're addicted to pornography. It's the same thing. We can support people who are suffering and hurting and have been harassed and abused or are trying to kill themselves without saying everything that you're doing is right. I think that would be awesome. Now, at some of your smaller churches, you're probably like, I don't even know a trans person, but certainly if we were in a, in a larger setting, uh, it would probably, in the, especially in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the cities, it's probably easier to find trans communities. And if, they, if you went to them and said, you know, we'd like to offer you a support group, a place where you can talk about your hurts and your pains and we can you know, pray with you, they'd probably be floored. By the way, if any of you start one, I'd love to hear about it. Overall, love as you would anybody else. You know, if you're a hugger, give them a hug. I'm not a hugger, not going to hug you, not going to hug them. But if you're a hugger, give them a hug. You know, be honest with each other. Don't pretend with each other. Keep communication lines open. Be patient with them as you would. You know, love is patient. Love is kind. When it comes to the issue of discipleship, you know, our... If a trans person comes to your church, don't just try to fix their trans issue. You know, we're all bigger than our sexual identities. So, you know, be concerned about their biblical literacy. Be concerned about helping them to learn how to pray and grow in character and how to hear God's voice. And you know what? Maybe when they hear God's voice, maybe that'll fix everything. Or maybe it won't. Um, here's some things you should not do to love a transgender. Um, I mean... It, like I said, you kind of love people the way you, trans people the way you would anybody else. So don't ask them private questions like, how do you have sex? Or have you had the surgery? Um, I, I listened to some things from some trans people about things not to say, and this was a common thing. Do not ask me about what is under my clothing and what I do in the bedroom. I would, don't ask me either, right? So that's, it's a common loving courtesy. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> so as we draw near to the end of the message, I do want to again acknowledge that this, this is a really difficult thing for people who are undergoing these things. You know, many people experience what I said is called gender dysphoria. It's the opposite of euphoria. Wonderful. Dysphoria is I have discomfort or distress because I feel like my my sense of who I am, my gender identity does not match my body. And for many people, it's very hard. This doesn't mean that God has abandoned them. Nobody, all of us here, have our struggles with identity, our struggles with pain that we've had, sin struggles that we have. But God does not abandon us in those. I think of Jesus. There's a song that we sing I don't remember it. Uh, <laughs> something about how God forsook Jesus on the cross. Or, no, that's not it. I forget. Anyways, God didn't abandon Jesus on the cross. 
Jesus did say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he's speaking out of his humanness. He's a fully human, fully God. God didn't abandon him. He raised him from the dead. Jesus experienced a dysphoria, just like trans people. There was a mismatch between who he was and his body. His body was broken for us. He who had no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. God used that dysphoria, that brokenness for his glory. All of us, if you are a trans person, if you are somebody with struggles, who struggles with body image, if you have any other sort of pain, ask yourself, how can God use this? And I'm not saying God gave you this or God wants you to have this, but how can God use your struggles and your pain? How can you, God, use your broken identity for his glory? I want to use an analogy again, just so it's not about the whole trans issue. I own two pieces of property in Saskatoon. One is on Cockburn Crescent. It's a, kind of a brown duplex. Um, you'll find a van that kind of matches the color in the front double driveway. The other one is about two feet by four feet. I have the documentation to prove it. Every time, I'm not sure where to put that document, but every time I find it, I swear. Because I own property in the Woodlawn Cemetery. It's where my baby Avery is buried. My wife and I have three living children. The first three went, pregnancies went very smoothly. She's been pregnant six times. And one of them is buried in the grave. Stillborn. These deaths are not something I asked for. I don't believe they were God's will. But God has shaped me through them. God's made me more compassionate, more empathetic. I'm still much more a task-oriented person than a people person, so sometimes I really don't care about people, but I care more than I did. Some people will say, you know, I, I went through this struggle, I went through this pain, and I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, God has changed me, shaped me, that kind of thing. This is not one of those for me. I'd rather be less empathetic, frankly. I'd rather have my Avery. But my point is, is that God can take our brokenness, and these things have shaped me, they've shaped my identity and who I am. But God can take our brokenness, our weakness, our struggles, can take our identity and use them for his glory. Tara, I invite you to come. As we said on Tuesday when we were talking about medical assistance and dying, our suffering does not have to be meaningless. I quoted from Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God can take my brokenness, my experience with death. God can take your brokenness, your experience with cancer, one's experience with gender dysphoria. He can take our identity and he can use it for his glory. And these struggles and pain, they will shape our identity. So I, I understand when a trans person says, you know, don't say I'm not trans, even though I'm a Christian and, and whatever. This is, this is my identity. I get that because our struggles shape who we are. But ultimately, they're not the most greatest thing that defines us. First of all, I'm not somebody with the loss of a loved one. You're not, first of all, somebody with gender dysphoria, a trans person. You're not, first of all, somebody with depression. You're not, first of all, somebody with a disease. You're not, first of all, your pain and your weakness. You are these 
things do shape our identity. But first of all, you are a human being made in the image of God, loved by God, and a person of immeasurable value. And if you're a Christian, you're a child of God. You know, I love that image. Would you stand with me? I love that image, being a child of God, because sometimes we just think about, if you're not able to stand, that's okay. (laughs) Sometimes we just think about salvation as not having to go to hell. But when we, when we see in the scripture that you can be born again, you can be a child of God, or in, in Paul's letters, he says, you can be adopted into God's family. As the spirit comes in, you are adopted and you become a child of God. This says that salvation isn't just about getting into hell. It's about a new relationship. It's about a relationship with God. God is your father and you are God's child. These things are what should most shape our identity and who we are. We're going to pray in a moment, but first I want us to sing this song that says, it's affirming our identity as children of God, that we don't have to live in fear, that God's love surrounds us no matter what pain or hurts we may have. And then I'll lead you in a time of prayer. Let's pray, or let's sing.